So we are in chapter 16 of Revelation. We're in the last third, and uh, things are winding up to the very last hours. In fact, today we get into the very last days, uh, the very last days of uh, the tribulation period. And it's as if the slingshot is fully pulled back and uh, ready to snap. So we'll start uh, with an appropriate title of the last days of earth. Because um, again, we're not in the last years, we're not in the last months or even weeks, but we are in the last days uh, once we hit Revelation chapter 16. You'll remember our chronology of Revelation and how chapters 14 and 15 are really that transition period from the kingdom of the Antichrist on this earth into the victory of the Lord on this earth. And that celestial interlude prepares us for what we are about to see in Revelation 16 and some of the worst judgments we've seen anywhere in scripture. Granted, we read about them elsewhere in scripture, uh, but they have never yet happened um, to the degree that we are going to see them in chapter 16. 17 and 18 is going to recapitulate a bit about uh, more detail of what happens in the last three days or so of uh, chapter 16. And then chapter 19 is going to conclude that tribulation period. So that's our next section that we're looking at. That's our lesson six of uh, concluding judgment. And chapter 16 uh, has all of these bold judgments included in it. Chapter uh, six begins the opening of the scroll uh, with seven seals. And believe it or not, we are still in that scroll. Everything that is happening at this point in the bowls is part of the seventh seal on the scroll, just as everything that's happening in these bowls is the content of the seventh trumpet. Uh, so we want to remember that these are telescoping, uh, that it's still the title deed for this earth being broken open the grip of Satan being loosed on this earth so that Jesus Christ can come and be victorious over the very creation that he seemingly was not victorious when Adam failed to rule over this world. God will have a man rule over this earth and that earth or that man will be Jesus Christ. Um, and he has to rule perfectly on this earth before this earth can pass away. So all the judgments coming on this earth, will see that it comes close to an extinction level event but it cannot pass away until Jesus Christ has ruled on the earth. So we have the guarantee that although unbelievers will not survive these judgments, uh, that the earth itself will survive and the Lord will rule over the earth. So to get us started tonight, we're going to uh, look at a prophecy from Isaiah, uh, from the 66th, 66th chapter of Isaiah, which is right at the very end. And that last chapter is kind of split between the last days of the tribulation and the first days of the millennial kingdom. Uh, Isaiah goes back and forth because he's talking about that transition period of Israel from the victory of their Messiah to the rule of their Messiah. What he says here in uh, verse three about the end of the tribulation period, he says, as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so I will choose their punishment and will bring on them what they dread. Now, this is speaking of unbelieving Israel at the end of the tribulation period, who has constructed a temple that was not sanctioned by God, 
and they have offered sacrifices in that temple that were blasphemous to God. That's what verses one through the first part of three talk about is those blasphemous sacrifices. And so Israel as a whole is not being rescued here, but the Israel of God, those believing Israelites are going to be rescued. So these judgments that come on the end of uh, mankind is not secluded to non-Jews, uh, but it is all unbelievers. We'll see that Jews are a big part of the distinction of the uh, last days, but those who are in unbelief are not saved without belief. They have to come to a faith in Jesus Christ in order for them to be saved. However, what I want to point out here is this last, uh, this last clause, that first part of verse 4, I will choose their punishments and will bring on them what they dread. We can choose our sins, but we can't choose the punishment. We can't choose the judgment. Uh, they have chosen their ways, their ways being in unbelief. They can't choose the end of that, uh, of that unbelief. That is something meted out by God. So it says, because I called, but no one answered, I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. And so a voice of uproar from the city, and that is Jerusalem, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to his enemies. And jumping ahead to verse 15, Isaiah writes, For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and his sword on all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. So this is the final battle, the battle of Armageddon that Isaiah is speaking about. And so we can see that from the beginning of the times of uh, Israel even, or Isaiah preaching towards the, uh, the divided kingdom era, all the way through Revelation, the content of what will happen in the last days is the same. The Lord is coming in victory. He's coming against those who are in disbelief. And he is coming against those who have persecuted his people. So here we come to chapter 16, verse 1 of Revelation, and we read, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now it's important when we come to chapter 16 to realize that the chapter divisions are not arbitrary, but they are not inspired. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1, follows immediately after Revelation chapter 15, verse 8, that says the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So when we're looking at chapter 16, verse 1, and we hear a voice coming from the temple, we have no other option but to say that this is the voice of God himself coming from the temple because no one besides God himself and God's glory, the Shekinah glory, will be present in the temple during those days. So we have absolute certainty then that this is the voice of God speaking out and he is calling for wrath, for vengeance to be poured out on the earth. This is indeed the wrath of the lamb, the wrath of God on the earth. This is not the wrath of Satan on the earth. 
another proof that we have that this is the voice of God is in or is in uh, verse 17 when it says the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done not only is it coming out of the temple but it is coming out of the throne and you'll remember last week we had a picture of the throne room of God that we saw in chapter four and I imposed over it uh, very skillfully the uh the picture of the seven angels coming out of the temple holding the seven bowls of blood. So it says there that they are coming out of the temple um, and they are coming out of the temple, which is synonymous, it seems, with the throne. They occupy the same space. These seven bowls that they are commanded to uh, pour out on the earth consist of seven different complete uh, judgments, whereas earlier in the book of Revelation, we saw some similar judgments. Uh, the details are all quite different, uh, but they do have similarities, uh, but they were all partial judgments. They were poured out on a third of the earth, or they were poured out on, uh, on localities that were not over the entire earth. I'll show you tonight that this is over the entire earth, um, and the judgments are so complete that no one could survive these judgments unless the days were cut short, uh, which is why I do think this is less than a week and not even a full week. Uh, as we go through these verses tonight, I will pull out a few details that indicate that these are happening in a very short period of time. I wanna prepare you for a few of those. Uh, the first one being the singular command. Now in chapter six and in chapter eight, when we saw the seal judgments and when we saw the um, trumpet judgments, each seal judgment and each trumpet judgment was individually commanded by God. Um, each one had its own uh, introduction by the voice of an angel or by the voice of God himself. Uh, this one has one singular command right at the very beginning and they all pour out without any additional command. God says, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. He is silent from that point forward until the very last bowl is poured out. So the singular command um, speaks of the uh, rapid succession of these judgments. The totality of the destruction in uh, chapter 8, verses 7 through 12, we get the trumpet judgments, which are the most similar judgments, the ones that some people try to say are the same as the uh, bowl judgments. But very, uh, very poignantly, John says that those judgments each affect one third of the area that it is poured out on. Uh, here, they are affecting the entire earth. Uh, no qualification of restricted area. Then in uh, number three here is going to be the compounding results. Uh, once we get to verse 11, our last verse tonight, we'll see that they are still suffering from the very first bowl when they receive the suffering for the fifth bowl. So these uh, obviously do not have the time for any healing or uh, yeah, or any uh, respite between these judgments. The nature of each judgment is going to be that they build on one another. Um, for example, uh, or I guess we'll get there when we get there. I wanna save that one for a bit. Uh, Lastly is the brevity of style, and I'm going to add a sixth one once we get to the end, but for now, brevity of style, uh, and that is that before in the seals, we get belabored repetition, 
where each one is introduced individually with the same phrases. And for example, the first angel is just simply called the first. And then after that, it's the second angel, the third angel, the fourth angel, uh, repeating all of the uh, verbiage. But here, uh, John writes with incredible economy of style. There's not one spare word, uh, which is a literary device that John often uses to show the speed at which something is happening. This is one of the shortest chapters um, that covers some of the largest uh, quantity of material. Uh, so John is being very uh, speedy in the words that he's using, and we want to understand uh, that he's using that as a literary device. He doesn't say each angel individually. He just says the first, the second, the third, the fourth. These are coming in quick succession. And these are coming in uh, quick succession uh, because they are the, the final judgments of God and they are so severe that no one can uh, survive, survive them. Matthew 24, 21 says, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So these judgments are so severe uh, that no one can survive them. Therefore, they will have to be cut short. So without further ado, let's look at the first judgment, the first bowl judgment that will be poured out on the earth. It says, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Now, this word loathsome in old translations like the New King James is a pernicious and malignant sore. Uh, this is the Greek word kakos, which literally just means bad or terrible or uh, even at times disgusting. And malignant speaks of something that is evil or uh, insidious even. So this seems to have uh, a reduplicating effect that John is using two very similar words to show just how bad this sore is. It's not going to be a sore like other sores uh, that we see in scripture. These are going to be sores that are multiplied in their severity and their pain. Uh, and this is coming in uh, fulfillment, partial fulfillment at this point. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of Revelation 14, verse 9, which said, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his head, hand, um, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. This is uh, beginning to be uh, fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled throughout all of these bold judgments. This is the doom in the last days of the tribulation period on the followers of the beast, and it's only half of the doom that they'll bear. They'll bear both experiential doom and positional doom. That means they will experience pain in their life, and then they will experience eternal death uh, in the afterlife. The rest of Revelation 14, 10 speaks of this. It says, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So they have... Uh, temporal and uh, eternal 
uh, doom for worshiping the beast with the mark. And uh, bowl number one is the beginning of that judgment. Uh, Israel received the, uh, the uh, unfortunate promise of the same sort of doom for their rebellion. In Deuteronomy 28, we looked at this when we did the land covenant in our foundations. Uh, we see that Israel will go through cycles of blessing and cursing, uh, punishment for disobedience and blessing for obedience. During uh, their uh, rebellion, Moses says this, the Lord will strike you on the knees and legs with sore boils for, from which you cannot be healed. From the sole of your foot to the crown of your head, the Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. Uh, so this does have a double reference to it. Uh, and I believe this is looking forward to the Antichrist whom they will set over them as if he were a king, uh, building the temple under his uh, sanction rather than under the Lord's sanction. Um, so that unbelieving Israel will also be affected by this plague. Uh, because they have chosen to worship the Antichrist rather than the Christ. And Zechariah also speaks of this in the last days. Uh, Zechariah's uh, passage on the Lord's Day says, Now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. Uh, again, this is something that is so uh, pernicious, to use the King James word, uh, that they can't survive this. This isn't just boils or skin rashes. This is their flesh literally rotting off their bones. This is what's happening in the last few days of the tribulation period. This is the worst judgment that this earth has ever seen or ever will see, and no one will be able to survive it. The word used here for sores uh, is elkos or helkos, the Greek word for blisters, boils, ulcers, and festering wounds. Uh, so this is probably fairly similar to uh, nuclear radiation uh, damage, uh, as we saw in Hiroshima or Chernobyl. Uh, it's going to be a flesh-eating skin disease such as leprosy. Um, in Leviticus 13, 18 through 27, in the Septuagint, it uses this same word uh, in, the, uh, in the description of a leprous sore uh, during, through the law. And in Hebrew, uh, this is the word ababuat, which in uh, Exodus 9, we see was the sixth plague on Egypt. Um, so again, this is similar, and there will be a lot of similarities to the judgments on Egypt, and that's because it's the same God judging Egypt as will judge the earth in the last days. So in Exodus, Moses writes, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it toward the sky 
and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. So notice as well that it's all of the followers of the king of that land uh, that are affected by this uh, plague. And so it will be in the last days that all the followers of the beast, including his, uh, including his magicians, his false Christs, are going to be affected with this plague, all that have worshipped him. And we see here then the stark difference between man and between God, uh, the difference being defiance and patience. God is long-suffering, even against all of the defiance of man on this earth. And so the records here of Pharaoh's response, it's for this time I will send all my plagues on, uh, for this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your peoples with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. So if God had unleashed everything that he had, uh, Pharaoh and his nation would have been uh, wiped off the face of the earth. That's what's happening here to the Antichrist. God isn't holding anything back. God's going to come and end the wrath early because otherwise there would be nothing left. Job also gets a very similar plague on him, but his has a different source. His comes from Satan, um, and it comes from Satan by permission from God, but by Satan nonetheless. This is Satan's wrath on Job. Uh, it says, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and took a pot shard to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Why is Job trying to scrape his sores? Is it because uh, they itch or because he is trying to get it off of his skin so that it doesn't spread to the rest of his body um, as rot does, as leprosy would? Uh, so it's, again, a flesh-eating rot. But Job has a different response than the unbelieving world has. And I want this to kind of be floating in the back of our minds because twice in these, uh, the first five bowls that we're going to look at, the world responds uh, by digging in their heels against God rather than humbling themselves and recognizing his power over this earth, his power over them, and uh, worshiping him and glorifying him as God. So Job, in the very last chapter towards the end, uh, of the book, he finally uh, humbles himself that he uh, doesn't fully understand God, that God is bigger than him. And Job, the righteous servant of God, uh, has the proper response towards God. He says, hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. It's all about how we respond to God. And in the last days, man will be so, uh, so dug in, in his blasphemy and in his unbelief, that despite, uh, despite uh, it being God's last moments of grace and grace still existing for a few days, uh, they are going to choose disbelief. They're going to choose rebellion. All right. And now we see the plague thrown into the sea. 
This is the second plague. It says the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. So some people have uh, taken this and said that uh, we can't take this language literally because of the presence of the Greek particle hos, which is uh, a metaphor particle, but it, uh, it takes what comes after it as the metaphor. So here in the uh, Greek, I've drawn it out and it parallels pretty easily with the uh, syntax in English. So the blood became like that of death. Uh, the blood is not a metaphor. The blood is literal. This will become literal blood. The metaphor is that it's going to be like death. It's going to be similar to death. This is important because in Leviticus 17, 15, it says that the life is in the blood. And that's why it's wrong to, uh, wrong to kill or wrong to eat blood. Uh, so here, the text is drawing a distinction about what kind of blood this is going to be. It will be literal blood, but it will be more like blood that is, uh, or that has experienced death. So not blood flowing through the veins, uh, but rather coagulated blood like that of a dead body, blood that's not moving uh, through a body. There's not going to be any aeration in it. It's going to be stagnant and uh, quite honestly, about as disgusting as it can possibly get. And it's going to affect not just a third of the seas this time, but the entire ocean, all salt water will turn to blood. This is dissimilar to the trumpet judgment. Um, the second trumpet judgment was says, um, the second angel sounded in something like a great mountain with burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So remember just as, or remember that uh, we also identified this as literal blood, but it had a different catalyst. It had a burning mountain falling into the ocean, and it had a different uh, range. It was only one third of the creatures uh, that died. Here it says that absolutely every single living thing in the sea will die. There will be not one uh, not one bit of life left in the sea. So this is the decreation event paralleling day five of creation. In Genesis 1, 20 through 21, we see the beginning of all the life that exists until that time. Uh, it says, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanses of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves. Uh, with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Uh, so here there is, without exception, every single one of these creatures that was created on day five and has existed ever since will be terminated. This did not even happen during the uh, destruction in Noah's day. Uh, in Genesis 7, verse 21, it says, All the flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, or the breath of the spirit of life, died. Uh, so yes, the last days will be like the days of Noah, 
Uh, but I think John is drawing a contrast here that this will be even worse than the days of Noah, because even the sea creatures are going to die uh, under these judgments. There will be no survivors. Uh, Thank you.